Revelation chapter 2. Get this turned on here. Am I on? I know what you're thinking. Oh boy, first message is going to Revelations. But no, I promise it's simple. Uh, it's not complicated. Uh, that's one thing I'm thankful for. God's word is simple. Even the, uh, the simple-minded can understand it. Uh, and that's all I'm going to try to do uh, right now is I'll tell you what the Bible says. Um, so Revelation chapter 2, we have uh, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we have God's view of, of seven churches. And uh, today I want to look at uh, the church of Ephesus. Uh, when I think of Ephesus, most of the time we think about the negatives. And I think, oh, it's the church that left his first love. But there's also more than that. You know, God commends Ephesus for, uh, for several things. So uh, I have three points. I want to look at Ephesus' commendation, uh, Ephesus' rebuke, and then the consequences for not repenting. So let's, uh, let's read this together. Um, let's see, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hath labored, and hath not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Uh, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to come before uh, your church to deliver your word. I thank you uh, for the truth that is contained here. Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to, uh, uh, to uh, present it in a way that honors and pleases you. And uh, just uh, help me keep my thoughts clear. May you be honored. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that is not saved or that is uh, uh, that needs to fix a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would just convict their hearts and that they would come to the knowledge uh, of your truth. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so first we're going to see who this message is to. Uh, verse 1 says, And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Um, now we know the word angel uh, means messenger. Uh, the angel is, would be the pastor at Ephesus. So this is into the pastor of the church of Ephesus is one way we could read this. And then also uh, we're going to see uh, who the message is from, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in verse 1 it says, He thinks, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Uh, turn back to chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at... Uh, chapter, or verses 12 through 20, it helps us understand this. This is Paul speaking. Uh, this is his, uh, the vision on the island of Patmos. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a gold, with a gold girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they turned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining, or shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of heaven and of death. Or I have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, 
and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery, this is the key verse here, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So we see here, the seven stars are the pastors or messengers of the seven churches and the, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So first, I want, like I said, I want to look at Ephesus' commendation. Uh, we see in verse uh, 2, the Lord says that he knew their works. Uh, a lot of people, you know, we don't believe in, we say, a, a work salvation. We don't believe in uh, salvation is obtained by the works that we do. Uh, we know that that is false. But uh, a lot of uh, people take it too far. Uh, they say that they believe repentance is a work. Uh, uh, there's a man on YouTube. He's getting very, very popular. He's, he has all these rebuttals supposedly against David Cloud and, and against uh, repentance, saying that repentance is a false gospel and all these things. But, but works, are, works are very important. Uh, salvation produces works is something we're going to look at. Uh, let's look at uh, Acts 16, or no, Acts 26. We're going to see that Paul preached works. Acts chapter 26. I'm going to be jumping around a lot. Uh, verses 19 and 20. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Now I said that we believe repentance is required for salvation. We need to define what repentance is. Uh, Hiles Anderson and, and other churches have really watered this down. But repentance, uh, it's not complicated. Uh, it's simply, let's see, I have it. What did I write? I can't remember what I actually had written down, but repentance is a turning away and turning towards God. Uh, it is an action of the will. It is not simply admitting your sin. It's not saying, Lord, I'm sorry, but it's an acknowledgement, Lord, I'm sorry I've sinned, and I'm going to turn away from this and turn to you. It's a turning away is what repentance is. So Acts uh, 26, 19 through 20, it says, it says we're, we're to produce works meet for repentance. Uh, and also, so we see Paul preach works. We see James preach works. Uh, go over to James uh, chapter 2, uh, 14 through 20. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? It's kind of comical. So you have a man coming to you, he's hungry, asking for food, and you just say, go your way, be, be full, you're okay, you're, you're going to do fine, just be full. It does, that doesn't do anything. It means, that means nothing. Uh, but no, you, you, would, you would give them, you would, you would help them. You'd, you'd have to give him, give him food. You can't just say, be full. No, you give him food. It says, and one of you saying to him, let's see, verse 17, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So you can say you're saved. You can say you have faith all you want. Uh, even, you know, your pastor. Your pastor can tell you, you have faith. Uh, your father, your, your mother, they can, you're saved. You're saved. You have faith. It doesn't make you. It doesn't mean that you have faith. It doesn't mean you have salvation. Uh, you can say it all you want. It doesn't necessarily make it true. 
So even so, uh, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. So just because you say you're saved, if you're not producing works, if there's not evidence for your salvation, it's dead. What good is something that is dead? It's good for nothing. Um, Matthew 16. Let's turn to Matthew 16. We're going to see Jesus preach works. Uh, verse 27, it says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So the Bible clearly states the salvation is going to produce works. Now just because you say you, you have faith and you believe in the, in the Son of God, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved. Where are the works to prove that? Um, so that makes me, you know, that makes me ask the question. You know, we go out and we knock on doors a lot of times, and we hear people say that, you know, they're Christian. They they believe in, you know, they believe they said that prayer, they were baptized, whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they're saved. Uh, what is their life? Are they going to church? Uh, are they witnessing? Are they are are you as children obeying your parents? Uh, there has to be fruit. There has to be evidence of that. And the church of Ephesus, the Lord says, he says, I know your works. Uh, now, could, could the Lord say that about our church? Could he look at us as individuals, look at us as, a, as the body and say, I know your works? And secondly, we see in verse 2 that they labored. Uh, let's look at Exodus 20, verse 9. I would have hated this verse as a kid. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy works. We have here the clear commandment of the Lord is to work. Uh, there's a man I work with. He, uh, he told me, I don't know how it got brought up, but he said that if his wife would go to work for him every day and he could say, he said, I'd take the place of my wife in any day of the week. He, we were talking about, then we brought up, you know, you were to win the lottery, he said, man, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't have to work anymore, just spend the rest of my you know, life on vacation, wouldn't have to work. I, I couldn't do that. Uh, I can't, there's no way. I don't care how much money I have. I'd have to, I'd have to work. I'd have to do something. But and that's, now that's in us as a Christian. Now the Lord, the Lord put that, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and it's a commandment of God. We are to labor. We are to work. It's, you know, work is not a part of the sin curse. Uh, you know, Adam was working in the garden long before um, the, the sin curse came. Uh, so we're to labor. I'm sorry, kids. But we're to labor. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is actually Paul speaking to the church at Ephesians, which would be the church at Ephesus. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So we're to work not only for ourselves, but we're to work to be able to give to others. Uh, now we give through our tithes and through our offerings. Uh, we also you know, we give ab over, above and beyond. We give through our faith promise. And we're to give to others. Now, our government, things are different. Our culture is a lot different than it was back then. But back then, you know, the poor people, they, they didn't have welfare. Uh, the Lord commanded us to, you know, to help those that are poor and needy. But you know, today, that can be difficult you know, given to the poor and needy because a lot of times they're just... You know, they can collect. They can get. They can get money. They can get food. There are certain shelters and there's things for them. Uh, most of the time, they're just going to take that money and spend it on alcohol or something like that. But um, 
know, back in you know, Bible days, it wasn't necessarily all that. So the Lord said, you know, we're to work so that you can give to your friend. And we as Christians, you know, we're not to live this life uh, working for ourselves to gain worldly gain. We're also to work to be able to give to more. We can give through missions. We can give through other things. And that requires labor. Uh, we are to labor. We are to work. It's God's design. You know, even uh, we could we could debate about retirement. And it's never good not, not to do anything. You know, there comes a certain time where you have to lay certain things aside or you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. But it's never good for a man not to do anything, or e even for a woman not to do anything. Uh, according to the Bible, commands men, men to labor. Um, that's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're lazy, uh, there's something there's something wrong there. That goes back to where are your works. You know, labor is part of is part of work. If you're a safe person and you don't you don't want to work, that's you're not showing evidence. There's no fruit there. Uh, something's wrong. Uh, but the church of Ephesus it was a laboring, working church. Uh, also. Psalm 128, uh, verses 1 and 2. They say, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. So you can work and be happy. It's possible. Now, we are, you know, back then, again, you know, they, they grew crops today. We work for money so that we can go buy food. But you know, back then, they, were to, they worked in the gardens to raise food. And, and Pastor Byler knows quite a bit about that. You know, if you didn't work, you didn't eat uh, a lot of times. But um, anyway, we are to labor. Uh, Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man shall fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, being an example of a believer is also labor. It's hard. Now, I come home, it also shows the importance for church membership. Now, I work all week. I'm around the world all week. Most of the time, by the end of my day, I'm just ready to come home and have my devotions and, and to read and, and Try to get all that filth out of my mind, because uh, I hear it, you know, day in and day out, working with the world, and we, we can't necessarily get away from that. And there are certain things we can do, such as eliminating television and internet, uh, and the books that we read and things like that. But you know, we're in the world, and sticking up for what's right uh, when others aren't aren't doing so, uh, just talking around the office with people, you can't participate in certain conversations that they have. You just have to walk away. Uh, and that's hard. Uh, it's hard not to to be friends with the world sometimes. Uh, it makes you, you know, quote unquote, weird. Uh, it, it's spiritually. It can be spiritually draining. Um, but you know, we're supposed to be looking ahead. We labor. We go through those trials. We we suffer. We you know, Christ said to take up our cross and to follow Him. We go through those things. We go through persecution. We suffer for Christ because Christ suffered for us and we're to labor to enter into that rest so are we a laboring church are we a working church are we working and it can be so easy we can get so tired in the daily grind and and you can let your guard down but we're you know as we're going to see we're not we're not to faint we're to keep on keeping on uh, next, we'll see that the church of Ephesus, it, was a, it says the Lord said they knew their patience uh, in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation chapter 2. It says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Uh, and then also in verse 3, it says, uh, and hath patience for my name's sake, and hath labored. And it goes and repeats itself. Uh, so, do we have patience as a church? Uh, I don't like I don't like waiting. Uh, it can be hard, uh, but uh, you know we're we're to have patience for the coming of Christ. Uh, this, this life it can get so tiring. I, I remember I told my dad a little while ago, 
you know, I'd be happy as can be if the Lord came today. I, I'm already I'm already tired, and I think I'm only 20 years old. How much more of my flesh do I got to deal with? <laughs> I still got a ways to go. Now, if the Lord tarries and the Lord allows me to go, I don't know that. But if the Lord gives me a good life, I gotta I gotta stick with this flesh for a long time. Uh, that's that's hard. You know, I, I can't wait for the redemption of our bodies. Uh, Romans 8 uh, speaks of that. Uh, you should have this verse memorized. Verses 23 through 25. It says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And in context, that was talking about um, you know, us rotting, corruption. You know, the, all of earth, all of mankind is decaying. Uh, and the Lord, is, he's going to redeem this earth. Uh, he's going to destroy it and build a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, we're going to shed these bodies finally. And we're supposed to be laboring, and we need to have patience waiting for that. And like I said, keep on keeping on. Um, verse uh, James chapter 1, James 1, verses 3 and 4, we see that patience has to do also with being content uh, with what we have. Uh, verse 3 and 4 says, Behold, uh, no, that's not right. James 1, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go. Knowing this, James 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that we may be perfect, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So it says, wanting nothing. Um, look over at James 5. Verses 10 through 11. It says, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. We have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And it says, Now look at the prophets. They were patient. Now look at Job. Let's look at Job. Uh, turn over to Job chapter 13. We'll see Job was patient going through his trials, and he was content. If you're ever going through a difficult time, Job is a very good book to read. Job verse, or chapter 13. Verses 13 through 16, it says, this is Job speaking to his good old friends. Hold your peace, let me alone, that I may speak, and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hands? So he's saying, so am I in control of everything that's going on in my life right now? Though he, though Though he slay me, talking about the Lord, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. He says, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm just going to let come on me what will. Now, though the Lord slay me, I don't necessarily, he didn't know why, didn't know why he was facing these trials, why he was facing these struggles, but he said he determined in his heart, now, I'm just going to, I'm going to be content with what the Lord has given me, and though the Lord slay me, I'm going to keep on doing what's right. And he told, he told his wife, what he called his wife a wicked woman because she said, curse God and die. And Job had lost everything. And we think we, we're going through some trials sometimes, and we just can't wait to get out of it. But we're, we're to be patient. Uh, just do what's right and, and learn what we're supposed to learn. Uh, now, patience, what does the Bible say about patience? What does it teach us? Um, you know, it's great gain. Uh, I can't remember what that verse was exactly. So are we a patient church? Are we 
continuing to, you know, we're a small church and we'd love to see this church grow. Uh, but maybe, you know, you never know. The Lord promised to build, build his church. Um, I think that's mainly the word build there has a lot to do with edifying. He'll edify his church. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to grow up and have great numbers and be all that, you know, we're not going to be like some of these other churches. But we're to be, you know, be patient and be content with what we are and be happy and grow in the Lord and do what we're supposed to be doing. Um, we see also that the church of Ephesus, they remain separated. We're at Revelation chapter 2. Get back over there. Verses 2 and 6, it says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them when are evil. And hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them as liars. So the church of Ephesus, you know, I appreciate Nathan preaching the other day. He talked, gave us the, the background of the church of Ephesus and all that. But they were, they were vigilant, and they, were, they cast out those that were, they cast out the Nicolaitans and those that preached false doctrine and those that live like the world. Um, they, didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't conform. Now, I think, It says, "Yeah, they did not compromise for the sake of new pagan members." Now, it would be like Pastor Webb, or not Pastor Webb, Pastor Byler, uh, pushes this a lot. You know, if we wanted to grow this church, it would be it would be quite easy. Um, we could compromise, and we could join up with so-and-so and get help from this church and get help from this church and all of us just come together and, and we could build this place up, we could get a new building and, and it would be all good and wonderful, right? We're not to do that. Uh, we're supposed to be patient, we're supposed to continue to work and do keep God's commandments. We're not to conform, we're not to be like the world. We are as a church have the responsibility of remaining separate from this wicked, this wicked world despite, despite its appeals and though other churches may compromise and they may give a little bit on their music, and maybe you know, what if we just what if we just let our guard down just a little bit in this one area? Uh, and we could keep this family happy. We could get this family to stay here. Now, what if we just got rid of this or added this? We you know we could and maybe obtain this family or get this. We're not to look at things that way. We're to look at we're to look at things by the way God commanded us to look at them. We're to remain separate from the world and keep his commandments and do his works. And the church of Ephesus, they, they refuse, they cast people out. They refuse people. Uh, I mean, wouldn't it be great to, maybe some of them were rich, I don't know. Wouldn't it be great to have that, that money? Uh, but they refuse that. That's why I'm, I'm thankful for this church. Um, no, we're not to touch the unclean thing. Uh, that also, uh, second, look at Second Corinthians, chapter six. It says, "O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you; our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straight in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now, for recompense in the in the sake in the same." I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty, or the Lord Almighty. Well, that just threw away the theory of the, the universal church. Now, pastor has a job as a shepherd 
to look into our, each one of our lives, and and He is able, He is able to keep this this church separated from the world. Uh, he's able to to um, allow us not to touch the unclean thing, uh, as it says here. And you you think of Israel. Now, when did most of the time when Israel wandered from the Lord and went back into paganism is because they they took daughters of the Philistines. Uh, they didn't remain separated. So the church of uh, Ephesus remained separated. Um, also, we see verse three. It says that they did not faint. I spoke of this a little bit. Look at uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke 18 verse 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Galatians 6 9. Galatians 6 9 says, And let us be weary in well doing, and let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Um, also, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. And it goes through there how we can do that. You know, we're in a war. And every bit of war is labor. Uh, it's, it's no picnic. Uh, but we're, you know, we're not to faint. Uh, it's so easy to get discouraged going in you know, the daily grind, always being a part of the world. And, and you go to work every day part of the world, come back, try to get your mind back, focus and everything, fill your mind with good thoughts, go back in the world, you hear it again. And it, it can be it can be tiresome. But we're not to faint. You know, we're supposed to have joy as Christians in the Lord. We can go we have the vic the Lord has already given us the victory. Uh, we can we can go through life in the joy of the Lord. And we're not to faint and not to let the struggles of this life and the labor and the work uh, you know, wear us down and cause us to be weary. So the uh, church at Ephesus, it was not fainting. And the Lord recognized that. But also we see, sadly, Ephesus' rebuke. Revelation chapter 2, again, verse 5. It says, or verse 4 says, Nevertheless, despite of all of these good works, despite of all that you're doing, in spite of your laboring and you're not fainting and you're remaining separated from the world, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee, and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. So what does it mean by, because thou hast left thy first love? I think of, think of Nathan and Jacqueline right now. As the love that they have for each other, uh, passion that they have for each other. You th you'd think of our salvation when we first came to know the Lord, the our first love when we first came to know the Lord, the joy that we have, uh, the eagerness that we had to study and to know God's word and to and to continually feed and, and do whatever I can, whatever we could uh, for the Lord. Look at, look at, um, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Look at Matthew 22. might come back to this. Verse 36. 
It says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the first and greatest commandment that we have by God is to love him. And it, it seems almost, you know, reading this, it kind of, at least it made me scratch my head a little bit, is how can they be doing all these works and not fainting and laboring and, and not love the Lord like they're supposed to? It, it just does, almost doesn't seem right. Um, I think of the danger that that can have. You know, the church of Ephesus is obviously a good church. And they are, the Bible says they remained separated from the Lord. They had works. They had patience. They labored. They weren't feigning. But their love for the Lord wasn't what it was supposed to be. Their zeal. And I think about uh, how that can happen in marriage, even. Because um, sometimes when, when people ask, you know, they, they say they don't, they don't love their wife anymore or whatnot, it, it makes me want to kind of ask the question, why not? Why don't you? It's because they, they base it all on a feeling. But love is really a choice, and we're going to see that. Uh, so we're going to look how to obtain love again. Now, if, if we really looked at things from the world's aspect, uh, then the church of Ephesus, they don't love the Lord, so they can just put the Lord to the side and do their own thing. But no, love is a choice. Uh, look, at, uh, look at verse 5. It says, the first step, to obtaining our love again with the Lord would be to remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Let's look at Ephesians 2. Verses 1 through 13. It says, this is a very encouraging chapter. And you happy quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." So we were the children of wrath. We were the children of sin. We were corrupt. It says, even when we were dead in sins, again, I ask, what good is something that is dead? Something that is dead stinks. Now, I've been around dead birds quite a lot. It, it, it reeks. Sometimes it's, it's bad. I can't imagine what a dead person smells like. But we were dead in our sins. What good is, what good is somebody that is dead, a dead person? And that, it's not, you want to get rid of it. It's rotten, it's, it's gross, it's corrupt. That was us. We were, we were gross, we were corrupt. We were in sin with no, with no hope. And it says, even when we were dead in sins, the Lord hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. We were without hope. We were corrupt. We were dead. And Christ saw us and said, no, I love him. I'm going to send my son to the cross for them. And it says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. This is talking about the Gentiles 
how you know the Jews the Jews were God's chosen people, and now the Gentiles uh, were obtaining salvation. This was all new to them. But you, know, you and I, we were Gentiles. We are Gentiles, more than likely. But we were dead in trespasses of sin. We were of no hope. There was no hope to us. There was, there was at the time no hope to Gentiles. But he hath quickened us together. So we are to remember that. You want to know how, well, why your zeal is gone, why your love for the Lord is gone? It's because maybe it's because you've forgotten where you came from. Maybe it's because you've forgotten wh what the Lord has done for you. Secondly, the thing that we can do to obtain that love once again is we have a call to repentance. In verse 5, it says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. So we see a call to repentance. So we are to acknowledge, we are to remember where we have come from, our filth and our disgust and our, our sins, and how the Lord saw us worthy of his Son. And we are to repent. We're to repent of our sins, repent of our lack of love for him, lack of, maybe it's, it's lack of zeal for him, lack of works. It could be any of these things. Um, you know, the verse that we read says, on the lo love of God, it hangs all the commandments. If you don't love him, or if you're not keeping his commandments, you're not loving him. Uh, if we're not keeping one of these commandments, we're to repent of our sins. If we don't love, we don't have that zeal that we once had. You know, I heard a pastor say one time, if you're not close, if you're not closer to the Lord as you've ever been today, why not? Why not? We should be growing. We should be conforming more to the image of His Son. So we're to repent. Oh, there's my definition. Repentance is a change of mind toward God that results in a change of life. Uh, secondly, if we have lost our first love, we are to repent. Revelation 3, uh, verse 19 also says, uh, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. We're to be zealous. Uh, and being zealous, you're zealous over the things that you love. Uh, so do you have a zeal? Do you have the love for the Lord that you once had? And if so, why not? The good news is you can change it. Um, and then next we see the command to do the first works. Now back at Matthew 22, it says... Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, it talks about, I won't read it again, but it, you know, it talks about uh, the, the greatest commandment of all the commandments is to love the Lord thy God. And if you're not loving the Lord thy God, are you a Christian? It says that also that you know, all, the love of God... It, it, um, let me go ahead and go to it. Matthew 22, verses 40. It says, On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. So if you're not loving the Lord, you know, are you going to be doing, if you don't love the Lord, are you going to be keeping his commandments? Are you going to be doing what's right? You're not. And obviously, loving the Lord is keeping his commandments. Um, John fourteen fifteen I believe says that uh, yes John fourteen fifteen let's look over at John fourteen John fourteen verse fifteen says if you love me keep my commandments so if you're not keeping his commandments you're not loving the Lord uh, next we see uh, what are the consequences for not repenting. It says, 
So to obtain that first love again, we're to remember where we've come from. Repent and do the first works. And it says, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Says God will remove himself from his church. Let me ask the question, how can a church stand without its foundation? Uh, Christ talked about removing his candlestick. What are, and what is the candlestick? The candlestick is the church. Uh, but we're, we're talking about Christ's presence. Um, what is candlesticks, and I think Brother Hoyle touched on this, and I think it was Pastor Webb in one of our institute classes. Candlestick back then is not what a candlestick is today. Uh, it, it, requ- it, was a, it was a lamp that required olive oil. And what does olive oil stand or symbolize? It's, it's God's presence, or it's God's the Holy Spirit, I believe. Um, but God says, he says, I'll, I'll remove that candlestick. There's a lot of churches out there that aren't churches. They're just buildings. Uh, they're just, they're there to, you go there to places you can go and you can feel good, get some inspiration from. Uh, but God's not, God's not there. Uh, it, it's not, it's not his church. And the Lord says, except thou repent, except even though you're keeping all of these commandments, you're loving, you're, you're doing the works, you're laboring, you're not feigning. He says, I'll, I'll still, because you're not loving the Lord, I'll remove my candlestick, I'll remove my church. First Corinthians chapter three. Chapter three verses nine through eleven say, For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. According to the grace of God which is given unto me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's works of what sort it is. So we see the church's foundation is Christ. Christ is the head. And if Christ remove himself from his church, it's not a church. What good is it for? It's good for nothing. It's a pretty serious and and sobering um, threat from the Lord. Even though they're doing all these things and keeping all these commandments and, and obviously laboring and, and not feigning, the Lord says, I'll remove my church. I wonder how many churches have been destroyed because of a lack of repentance, because of just harboring maybe one sin. Maybe they weren't, maybe they weren't uh, whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, one commandment is all it takes to be to put enmity between you and God. If you're not yielding in one area of your life, you're you're in great danger. Uh, let's look at the consequences for rejecting truth. Romans 1. So if you refuse to repent, let's see what happens. Verses 21 says, Um, let's go to verse 20 for the invisible things of heaven from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power in Godhead so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful and became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of God, or, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God, into an image made like to a corruptible man, 
into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own flesh to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did, think, uh, did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So we see the Lord says, if you know the truth, these people knew the truth, it was not clear to them. I mean, it was very clear to them, and they rejected it. The Lord says, I, I, I'll give them over to a reprobate mind. I think of how many friends that I've had grow up in church. Even now, uh, it, it amazes me. I, I wonder how. Why, why, why would you do this? They, they grow up in church and they leave. And they find a girlfriend or, or whatever it may be. They get a job and they forsake everything that they've known. I, I sit and wonder, how, how can they do that? Why would they do that? And the answer to that is, is the Lord has given them over to a reprobate mind. And the Lord says they went out from us because they were not of us. Man, I look at the young ones in this church, and I think of how many of my friends that I actually grew up with are still serving the Lord. Not, I can probably count them on one hand. Not very many. Uh, I think of the danger that is. You can sit in church your entire life and hear the truth. And God, God can look at you and, and say, you've rejected truth, you can have your own way, and he'll just let you have your own way. He'll cloud your judgment, and he'll give you over to a reprobate mind. That's, that's only, if, the, if that verse, if, this, if these verses weren't in the Bible, I, I would... I would have, I, it wouldn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But this really is the answer to why so many kids just walk away. I wonder how they live with themselves. But don't, don't reject truth. If you, know, if you know you're not doing something right, if you know you haven't repented, you know that you're not saved, don't, don't, don't reject truth. God will let you walk away. Let's go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 16. You have the, the rich young ruler the man that you know, says he kept God's commandments, he comes rich man, probably you know, I've heard it said he's probably wearing you know, not the cheapest material, comes and falls at the Lord's feet and, and asks, what must I do to be saved? Now, what a wonderful witnessing opportunity that would have been, right? It says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So he says, he comes asking the question, what must I do to be saved? And the Lord clearly gives him, gives him the answer, keep, this, keep my commandments. And he said unto him, which? Jesus answered, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth. What lack I yet? So this is obviously, if what the rich young ruler said is true, it's obviously something he's known truth. He's obviously grown up knowing the truth, knowing what the law is. He's kept the commandments. It'd be like, He'd be like a kid that grows up in church nowadays, sits under the, 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 the pastor and hears truth given to him, hears truth given to him, 
and he, he's a good person, keeps, keeps commandments, does everything supposedly that he, he thinks he's supposed to do. And he, he asks the Lord, what lacks, what is he lack yet? And the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth, what lack I yet? And Jesus said unto them, unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto him, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we have a man who comes running up to the Lord, good person, falls at the Lord's feet, and asks him, what must I do to be saved? I've kept all these commandments. What am I lacking? What am I, what am I not doing right? What, what must I do? And the Lord says, okay, if you're perfect, go sell everything that you have and, and give it to the poor. And he says he went away sorrowful and very heavy. What is the first and greatest commandment? The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This man wasn't so perfect as he thought he was. He refused He refused to repent. He refused to give all that he had. He was not loving the Lord as he, as he was commanded to, and the Lord just let him walk away. And I ask you, Not to reject truth. The Lord will let you just let you do. He'll let you do your own thing. He gives everybody a free will. I asked. There was a man at work that asked me, the a great question. Why would a loving God send a person to hell? Now I, I told him he gives everybody free will. He said you're, you're condemning yourself. God's not necessarily condemning you. You're condemning yourself by rejecting what Christ has given you. And we can can be so easily done, but I think of those, those that are saved, this is a good church. It seems like it would be what we would say would be a pretty solid church. They labored, they fainted, they had good works. But the Lord says, I'll remove you because of the lack of love for him if they would not repent of their sin. It's a very serious matter. Let's look at verse 7 of our text, Revelation 2. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. These are God's words to his churches. It would be very foolish not to listen to them. And ask, what would Christ say about Lighthouse? Would, would he say that you've lost your zeal, you've lost your lack of love for me? You don't love me? You're, you're doing good. You're, you're, you're witnessing. You go out on visitation on Saturdays. Uh, you're at church. You're faithful in all of this. And you're not feigning. But you don't, you're not loving me. Why have you've lost you've lost your your zeal your your passion for me? It could be so easy. It could be such a danger, especially to to good churches. It's so easy, you know, the daily life to, to just lose our focus. And we go to work every day, and you know, we come back. We go to work. And we come to church on Sunday, and it can become so mundane and so so just it's tiring, and we can lose our lose sight of things. Uh, life gets very busy at times. But you know, we're commanded to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then I ask the question, you know, if you don't love the Lord 
today more than you ever have before and ask the question, why? But the good news is, each and every one of us, you know, we have the choice to repent and to, to change things, to turn back uh, to where we ought to be.